The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Got one there next to you. If you don't, just stick your hand up and our ushers will get you one. If you don't have uh, sermon notes and you want to follow along in that way, you can take those as well. They'll have those or a pen or whatever you might need in uh, way of those things. Um, take them out. Take him out, it's that time. Don't you love singing that song? Don't you love just singing and praising the Lord like that? I found that song was actually on my mind a lot this week. But We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 2. We're continuing our, our series through uh, Thessalonians, and we've come to the end of chapter 2. We'll be in verses 17 to 20, uh, in case you're wondering where we're at. And uh, uh, the title of the message today is, When Plans Go Awry. When plans go awry, uh, it's, it's interesting in just the uh, season of, or in the history or wherever we find ourselves now with um, holidays and uh, the shooting that was nearby and all this, that this passage comes up and, and uh, it was meant a lot to me. But uh, just close to home here, have you ever had plans that have gone awry? Plans that didn't turn out exactly as you hoped for, right? Maybe you're building a house and you hope to be in it on a certain date and you're not in it for two months uh, until uh, two months later. Amen. Amen. <laughs> maybe you just, maybe you had holiday plans. Maybe it's something more minor than that. You have holiday plans, you've been, uh, families coming in and you've got, uh, you know, the menu all laid out and then you get to the day and you burn the turkey, Right? Or the conversations turn political and you know that's never going anywhere good, right? And just kind of ruins the, everything that you'd hoped for and expected of the day. Maybe you've had plans for your kids. Those of you that are older and your kids are out, maybe you've had plans for them, your family, and, and uh, then the, the kids didn't exactly turn out or go, into the, to go to the college or go where you wanted them to go. Or maybe you had plans for your career and... You had, you know, by this point in your life, you would be at this, you'd advance to this level or, or whatnot, or, um, and it just hasn't panned out. The promotions that have come up, you've been passed by or whatnot. Those are pretty, uh, you know, those high-level plans, but maybe you're, maybe just kind of even smaller than that. Maybe you have a plan for the day, and if your day is anything like mine, by 10 a.m., it's usually shot, Right? Maybe not. Maybe you're, you're, you have a little more control over your schedule, but I usually go into my day with certain things I want to get done, and then by 10 o'clock, it's, uh, it's a whole different ballgame. But our, our study here in 1 in, uh, Thessalonians has really shown Paul's fierce love for these people, these believers in Thessalonians, haven't it? We've seen these examples. He's, he's talked about his, uh, his affection for them. They're constantly on his mind. He's constantly praying for them. He, he uses these, uh, these parental illustrations. He has this protection for them, like he, he loves his, them as his own children. And we, we learned in Acts 17, right? Acts 17, have you read that yet? If not, I would say read it this afternoon and it will add richness to both this message and your study of 1 Thessalonians. But what we learned there is that Paul was ripped away in an untimely manner. He had plans for ministry and discipleship and the preaching of the gospel in this church and he was ripped away. And our passage this morning now really reveals his heart and his response to being ripped away from them. So let's look at it together. I want to read it uh, here for us. Like I said, 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 to 20. Follow along here as I read it. It says this, But since we, this is Paul speaking of himself and Silas and Timothy, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time, 
in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. These verses teach us how to keep building when plans go awry. You see here, Paul loves these people fiercely, as I said, right? They were eager for the word and it was bearing fruit. Like we saw last week that the word of God was having its effect and that's something that every pastor wants, right? That's something that every parent wants. That's something that every person, every mentor, every discipler wants. They want to be among a people who are receiving God's word, who love it and who are being changed by it. And you can imagine Paul, if you know anything about his ministry, here this was an exemplary church but if you read some of the other epistles that he wrote, not every church was that way, right? Some churches, they, were, they, they just had all kinds of sin problems. They just had all kinds of, of issues, and it was difficult ministry. But here, Paul, these guys were growing in Thessalonica, and he was eager to be among them. He had plans for them, but then phew, thrown out, opposition, slander spreading, they gone, right? They gone. They gone. And yet, even while he's writing this in Corinth, the distance separates them. His love doesn't wane, and he keeps building among them. And so, let's, let's just think about this for a little bit. His plans have gone awry, so what do we do? And I've kept our notes simple today. It's just a simple outline, I think, that with a topic like this, when our plans go awry, it just needs to be simple, clear, and yet urgent. And so there's not two sides, there's just a simple outline. Our big idea is also our outline, so hopefully you can keep it in your mind. But I must keep building, point number one, I must keep building compelled by love. Compelled by love. Do you feel the rawness of verse 17 here? Do you feel the rawness here? It's not just that, hey, we were sent to Way. It wasn't a, a, a glorious uh, departure, but yet they were torn, torn like paper, right? Torn away from you. That wrenching, the tearing away, the separation was painful. And there's a big difference when we're separated from people, when our plans go awry, right? Think of it like a parent. You, you have plans to send your kids away, right? Send them away when they're, when they're 18, right? And that all goes. But then when they're separated from us, they're taken away from us in an untimely way by drugs or foolish decisions or death or some other thing. It hurts, right? It's a tearing in a parent's heart. I'll, I'll just uh, uh, just share a moment of transparency with you here. This was this I was studying this this week, and on Wednesday, I actually went down to with Kate. We went down. And we were on hand at uh, Sutherland Springs to to be a part of a counseling team. That's literally hundreds of people were coming back to that church building where that great wickedness happened, and this verse came alive to me as I was seeing family members and people come that had friends and children and brothers or sisters that have been torn away from them. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Seeing broken hearts that had been torn. And I think that's the, that's the rawness here that, that Paul's expressing. This is the love that he has for them, you know, that, that had been torn away from them. Parents feel this. Maybe your job has torn you away from your family. Or if you're in military service and you get called on a tour of duty uh, unexpectedly and you feel torn away, you miss those milestones. You miss those things. 
There's a, there's a real rawness here, the unexpected of the being torn away because they have this great love. This distance separates them. Notice he says, we were torn away from you for a short time. We'll come back to that. For a short time, they were torn away in person. The distance had separated them, but what hadn't changed, but not in heart. This fierce love, the plan has gone awry, but not as love. If anything, it has increased, right? If anything, it has increased because this love is what compels him to action. You see that here? He says, I, I, not in heart, I love you, but because of this, this tearing away, tearing away, I didn't just sit around, but it compelled us to action. We endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. We wanted to come to you. Again, this compels him to action. You know, Aaron and I, we have uh, the privilege of working with a ministry uh, called Hope Mommies that, uh, 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 that brings the gospel to mothers and families that have lost children through miscarriage, stillbirth, and early infant loss. And what's, what, what's really profound about the ministry is that here are our, our parents and moms uh, specifically that have, that have really experienced this. The, the shattering of plans or plans for their family have gone awry. And yet instead of wallowing in pity, the, the, these, these women and these families, they want to do something. It compels them to action. And so there's a great force of, of gospel work being uh, happening all over the, uh, the, the, the world, really, uh, through Hope Mommies. And it's, it's just astounding to see that. Even when their, their world has been rocked, their plans for their family have been demolished, they're moved to action, compelled by the love for their baby and their love for the Lord. That's what we do. We keep building even when our plans go awry, even when what we had hoped for doesn't materialize. We keep building, compelled by our love for the Lord and for the people that have been torn away from us. And so we have a choice, right? When our plans don't go awry, what can we do? We can sit on our hands, we can have a pity party, or we cannot do anything. We can be uh, paralyzed. We can be paralyzed by the why me's, the why did God do this to me? Why isn't this happening? Or we can endeavor the more eagerly with great love, right? We can endeavor the more eagerly with great love. We can't get up, we can't give up rather, even when it's painful. We can't just, just, uh, just stop. We can't let it paralyze us or immobilize us. What, rather, we, we embrace the emotions, right? We stay sensitive. We don't just, uh, we don't, we don't just suppress those because love feels, right? Love feels. Christians aren't immune to hard things, right? You know, in some circles, like uh, love is, or emotion is, is taboo, right? Like Christians, we're stoic. We don't, we're, not, we're not moved by those things. That's not true. We feel things, but we just don't let it paralyze us. We don't let it immobilize us. So emotions, then, they're the, the gas in the tank that keep us going, not the gas that sets the car on fire and, and, and doesn't let us do anything. But we keep going, we compelled by love. And so we can't let these things, even when, you know, even when the turkey gets burned or even when, you know, that grumpy uncle is ruining Thanksgiving this week, we got to keep loving, even if the plan isn't going the way you thought it would be. We can't let those relationships that have been severed immobilize you from making any deep, lasting friendships. And we can't let the sting of death, we can't let the sting of death just fester into bitterness that will eventually ruin you. We must keep building. We must keep going. We must keep persevering in the faith, compelled by love for people and for the Lord. There's a fierce, fierce love here. 
this is, this is uh, practical for us. You know, we're in this series, Build What Lasts, right? And so we're talking about building us as of discipleship, of seeing God's work at work in us, or God's word at work in us, rather, and in our church. And so we, uh, even when plans here don't go the way we think they uh, should, we keep trusting. We keep compelled by our love for one another and our love for the Lord. Because look here at what he says in verse 18. We're compelled by love. I, keep, I must keep building, compelled by love. And point number two, against a cunning enemy. Against a cunning enemy. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? This is why it gets difficult. And yet Paul here, he's, he's persistent in his love, right? He's persistent again and again. I mean, do you see this? He's, it's not giving up. He's trying over and over and over. He's been torn away. He's trying to make plans to get back to them. He wants to go and, and to continue the work of the ministry there among them. He wants to see the gospel at work. And so he's trying every angle to get back there and to be among them. And yet, Satan continues to hinder him. Beloved, we have an enemy, don't we? A cunning one, a wily one, a crafty one. And while we can't just look for him behind everything, he is at work. He hindered them. He's hindered them. This, this word, uh, it, it, it literally means it's like to build a trench, right? It's to put up obstacles to thwart the progress of what is happening here. And so picture it like this. We're over here building a house. And if you know anything about like a job site, it's like here's your building site. And then you have your staging site right here, right? All your materials, everything here. And so we're, we're building. We're doing what we can to, to build this house up. And it's as if Satan's come in with a big backhoe and he's dug a big trench right here, right? To hinder the progress, to hinder these materials, the things that need to get over here for the building process. And so he's put this big obstacle in the way. And now it's like, well, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to get over? How are we going to, uh, to, to continue this work? He digs that trench right in between. But our enemy, we do have an enemy. He's a defeated one, yes. But he wants to destroy you and he wants to destroy God's work. And we must be cognizant of that. He doesn't want you to be praying with your family. Know that? The enemy doesn't want you to be praying with your family. He doesn't want you to be in church every weekend. He doesn't want you reading the word every morning. He doesn't want unity in your marriage. He doesn't want you discipling your kids. He doesn't want you growing in the faith. Rather, he just wants you to settle for things. He wants you to, if you're none married, he wants you just to settle for that spouse or just to settle for the way things are. He wants to isolate you from the body. He wants to take you away from where you will grow. He wants to unplug you from that. He wants to deceive you about lies from your past and discourage you with your failures. He wants to starve you from the nourishment that you need and distract you with lesser things that may be good, but ultimately not lead to our growth. He wants you to doubt the goodness of God. Do you know how the Bible describes our enemy? Do you know how, how it describes? There's many descriptions of, uh, of our enemy, but one of the things that says in 1 Peter 5, he says he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he might devour. Who he might devour. This is our enemy. This is Satan. This is what he does. He's prowling around trying to find someone to pull away from the body. Ah, oh, you don't want to be around them. Yeah, no, they, they offended me. They hurt me. And he wants to pull you away. Ah, oh, you don't have time for God's word. And so he's seeking to devour you. Bible also calls him in 2 Corinthians 11, an angel of light. He masquerades around as an angel of light saying, okay, these are, are good things. This, oh, that's not going to hurt you. 
And yet it's all just a ruse. It's all just a, a false light. Picture it like this. The gospel is, a, is the, a bright, brilliant LED light. That's what we want. we want. We want the light of God's word, the bright, brilliant LED light. And Satan, one of his tactics is to come in, and this is largely at play in the Bible Belt, in the, you know, in the Christian South, is it'll shine just enough light. You know, those uh, eerie kind of fluorescent lights, you know, that none of us really like, and they kind of buzz if they're in your office, you know, and give you a headache and all that. You like those? Um, he shines just enough of that to drown out the true, bright, brilliant light. And so we settle we settle for these things that maybe are partially true, but not what is ultimately and absolutely true with the gospel. He masquerades around like that. In John 8, Jesus describes him as the father of lies. John 8, 44. He's the father of lies. Behind every lie, behind every deceitful thing said is ultimately our enemy. It's our flesh, yes, but, but we have this enemy who's cunning and who likes to just to, to deceive and to distract and to distort what is true. He's the father of these things. Our enemy here, he wants to keep us. He wants us to keep from building and growing and progressing in the faith. And he will stop not at nothing to thwart the growth in your life and in our church. He'll stop at nothing. From little things to massive things, using evil, wicked men, sending in shooters. He will, he will stop at nothing. Our enemy sees what is happening in the church. He sees growth. He sees good things. He sees people being changed. And he goes all out against it. He goes all out against it. In our church, we are no different. God sees the good things, the good that is happening within our church. He sees the growth that is happening in your marriage and in your life. He's seeing your hunger and your delight for God's word. He's seeing the relationships that are being formed. As we, as we build, as we, as we come together, and you must know here, you must know that you have an enemy that sees that and wants to destroy it. He does not want that to happen in your life, in your family. And so he will stop at nothing. But will we let him? Will we let him? No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We will not let the enemy prevail. We will not let the enemy prevail because why? He is a defeated enemy, right? And so he, he is defeated. He is powerless. He, he is on a leash, but in the midst of the trial, even though it is causing hindrances, we can't stop him necessarily from digging the trench, but that doesn't going, isn't going to paralyze us over here in the staging ground, sitting idle, and not over here building and growing and progressing, right? We're going to actually let this increase and grow our love for one another and for the gospel. We know that when we see that we have an enemy, that instead of letting that paralyze and immobilize us, we see that and say, you know what? God must be doing a great thing here because if the enemy is at work this hard to try to prevent it, then this is, this is I need to be all in for this. I need to continue to work. I need to use the things that God has given us. We must take up the armor of God, right? Ephesians six, read it if you're unfamiliar with it. We must take up truth and righteousness, moral living, those things, living in light of the gospel, faith, the Bible, prayer among one another. We must take up these things and not give up. We have an enemy, but we let the trials compel us to greater action, motivated by love. That's what we do. We don't let it discourage us. We don't let it discourage us. I've had a, a different things. One time, um, 
I was, uh, I was at my former church, and I was actually teaching something on a, on a Wednesday night. And uh, this is just an example of how, how uh, the evil one, the enemy, does this stuff. And I was teaching something. It was an awesome passage. I was in, uh, in actually in Esther, I think at that point, maybe Romans, two great books of the Bible. And, and it was particularly moved. I, was, I was, couldn't wait to teach on it. And right at the end of the day, uh, it, was, it was an evening thing. And like right about 4.30, somebody called the church and they just, they, they were argumentative. They were an unbeliever and they, they wanted to argue the existence of the Trinity and was, was just quarrelsome and rude and attacking and all that. And I was just very patiently trying to talk to him. And, and, and I just told him, you know, like, uh, you know, like, I, this is going nowhere. You just have a, a quarrelsome spirit, and I, we're, you know, we're not going to get anywhere. And, he, and he, that just made him come unglued. Oh, spirit of quarrelsome, but you have the spirit of Satan. Rah! He just, like, came unglued on me. And uh, right there, and, and honestly, it got me agitated. Like, I was just like, ah, like, what is this guy doing calling here? And I recognized it as a scheme of the evil one. He wanted to distract me. He wanted to distort me. He, wanted, he did not want me to be on my A game to open up God's word with the people that evening. He knew what was happening. And so he sent somebody to, to try to thwart that. And what I needed to do in that moment was compelled by love, recognize the scheme of the evil one, and let it motivate me to go and, and let, let it all out. Now, I have to admit, I don't... I'm not that way every single time, but, uh, but I, I remember that very distinctly here. Brothers and sisters, we have an enemy. We have an enemy. So we must keep building, even despite that. We can't run from it. We can't hide from it. We can't be naive to it. We can't just try to ignore it, but we must embrace that there is a battle. Let our love for the work that God is doing in and through us for his glory compel us to continue on. So look how at our last two verses here, because look where he takes us here. This is where we find our consolation and our anticipation to keep battling and to keep building. He says here, he's got this connector word for, for we keep our eyes fixed on the future. I must keep building, compelled by love, against a cunning enemy, and eyes fixed on the future. Take that to heart. Memorize it. It's the big idea. It's the nail of this passage. I must keep building, compelled by love, against a cunning enemy, with eyes fixed on the future. And so look where he goes here. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at its coming? It's a rhetorical question, but just think about it with me here. What do you think is the answer of this? Like what, what is our hope? As we, at the coming of the Lord Jesus, that's at Christ's second coming. He's referring to the future here, his parousia. When, when Christ returns and as we stand before the Lord, what is our only hope? This is the gospel, right? What is our hope? What is our joy? What do we boast in? We boast in the in the Lord, right? He's our hope. He's our joy. He's our crown of boasting, right? That's the gospel. If you love the Lord Jesus today, if you've confessed your sin, repented of it, said, God, I know that I've offended you, and Jesus is my only hope. I place my faith in him. Then you will be saved. That's the gospel. If you don't know that, if you haven't embraced that, do so today. Don't leave before you've done it, okay? That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we read a question like that and we automatically think Jesus, right? Like he's our hope. When we get before the Lord, we say, Jesus, he's the only way that I can get in here. Not of my works, not of anything that I've done will allow me to get into heaven. It's all through Jesus himself. But that's not his answer. What is it? How does he answer it? Is it not you? 
Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. We say this about things, right? Like about our kids, maybe our boat, our truck, some other uh, uh, fancy thing that we have. We say, ooh, this is my pride and joy, right? Our nice shotgun, like, yeah, this thing's this is my pride and joy. I can shoot anything. I can hit anything with this thing, right? It's our pride and joy. This kid, this is my pride and joy. And so he's saying this here. He's like, you are our pride and joy. Now that's, that, that catches us off guard, right? Because it should be Jesus. And so there, it does say, it, it, it is a little precarious here, like, hmm, should we really, like, do, is this really, should we be putting this much emphasis in the people that are around us? This hope that we have for the future, this joy that we have? Well, yeah. John says it in 3 John 4. He says, there's no greater joy than I have to hear that my children are walking in the faith, that are following the Lord. This crown, this reward, but here what we see is the heart of discipleship, don't we? That Paul has made an intentional investment now in the Thessalonians, which we've seen over and over and over again here in this book, and he has the hope of future returns, right? He's made these intentional investments in these people, even for a short time that he was there, and now he's looking forward when, this, when the Lord comes and he sees all the things, even in that brief time, his eyes are fixed on the future, they're fixed on the potential, that end goal of their faith being made sight, when the payout, the full payout of that investment will be realized when Christ returns. And this is a, a, a beautiful thing. We have to take our eyes off the immediate, right? We have to take our eyes off the immediate and realize it's just a short time, right? I said we would come back to it. He says, for we've been uh, separated. We've been torn away for just a short time. Now, as far as we know, um, that Paul never made it back to that city. If he did, maybe a brief thing through. But in the time that Paul's written it, he, he never made it back. And so this short time would be for the remainder of his life until, until he is with the Lord or the Lord returns. And in the grand scheme of eternity, right, as we put it in the, into perspective, this short time, those years, maybe even decades, are just a short time compared to the scope of eternity. And so his eyes are fixed on the future. And so we have to take, take our eyes off the media. We have to fix them on, on what is coming when hope, joy, all those things that, that we have invested in the people around us, those that we love, into the church that we, that we love, when those things will be fully realized. If not here, then there. We get stuck here in Satan's trench and all we can see is the mud around us. And yet, we just need to lift our eyes and look out over the trench, use the tools that God has given us by his grace and climb out and keep building because even if your plans, if they never work out or the situation doesn't change, it will. It will when the Lord returns, then when everything is made right. And it's then when we'll give an account for how we use our time, talent, and treasures. And God will see the things that we did for his glory to invest in the people around us. Those that God has, has given us, those people that we love, our, our kids. And when we've done right to God's glory, when we've done that right for without uh, selfish motives and we've given to the people that God is around us and we've put into them, we've made these intentional investments, then we can trust that it will grow. It will grow, that it fell on fertile soil and we will see the reward in the future, even when now it's being torn away from us. So when we respond rightly, even when the enemy is trying to distract or distort or deceive us, we say no, and we continue to press on. We continue, eyes fixed on Christ, 
eyes fixed on what God has promised to me, not believing the lies, not going there, but we continue on. And what may seem like a setback at the time is actually maybe just a setup for God to continually work for greater growth in your life and for his greater glory in your life and the people around us. So we keep building, don't we? We keep building, compelled by love, eyes fixed on the future, not right here, not that we're ignoring it, but we keep our eyes fixed on the long term, on what is eternal, that this is good. I'm making these deposits now. I'm intentionally investing here. We must keep building, compelled by love, against an enemy with eyes fixed on the future and our future reward. And I can say here, this we see uh, Paul's uh, uh, deep uh, love and affection for these people. A people that he was only with for a short time and then got torn away. And I'll just tell you, as, as your pastor reading these things and, and studying this, that, that this, this, this book of the Bible, these two chapters has, has increased my love for you. You as the people that are here that want to hear from God's word week in and week out, that, that, that it has given me a fierce love for you in the imperfect way in which I show it, but I, I, I love you, and I miss you when I don't see you. I, you're on my mind all the time as I pray and as I study. Like, I take those things seriously, and when you're, you're burdened, those burdens are mine, and your joy is my joy. I know that you have an enemy. I know when I see the, the growth in your life, I know that there's, that there's someone who wants to steal that, who wants to destroy you, and when, you, when, I, when I see you taking steps of faith towards the Lord, it's, it's, it makes me pray harder. It makes me rejoice and say, God, would you continue your work? Help him to stand strong, constantly mentioning you in my prayers. There's, there's really nothing like a face-to-face meeting, right? There's, as a pastor, like, I love to, to be with you. It's why I love to have coffee with you and take you out to lunch and do dinner with you and have you over and hear what God is, is doing in your life because your growth, your growth in Christ is my number one goal. That's what a, a shepherd does. That's what a pastor does. It's, it's what a pastor's love comes from. I want to see you taking steps of faith every single week, even if they're little baby ones or whatnot, but steps closer to the Lord, making those decisions t- for the Lord, going towards Christ and away from sin. That's my, that's my heart. That's what I want to see, just like Paul says here. So, so what do we do? We keep building what lasts, don't we? We keep investing in one another, even when our plans go awry, in personal plans, big plans, whatever, when our plans go awry, what do we do? Love is the ambition to keep building, right? Satan is the enemy against us building. And this hope that we have is the anticipation to keep building until we finish and we see the reward. Keep building, I must keep building, compelled by love against the cunning enemy with our eyes fixed on the future. Let's pray together. God in heaven, what a...